Welcome to Please Bet on Football Games. Okay. Hello and welcome to another edition of Please Bet on Football Games podcast. I am your host, Alex, and I underscore like underscore sports six. You're at the on-air talent, Joe. How you doing, Joe? I'm excited because we actually get to talk about, finally, some actually good quarterbacks. Good. We're using good loosely, but these, these guys should start. Yes, these are guys that should be starting football games and give you chances to win. Yeah, like if, if these are your starter, you shouldn't be actively looking to replace anybody, even if you're not going to win a Super Bowl without a great roster around. But like if you put any of these dudes with a good offensive coordinator, you might you might see some real success. All right. Well, I think we should just jump right into these B minus QBs. You want to kick us off at number 16? Who we got? Yeah, let's uh, let's grab the lightning rod. Quarterback number 16 this year is uh, none other than the Cleveland Browns, Deshaun Watson. This assumes a lot. <laughs> Oh, it assumes this assumes so much. Uh, first of all, it assumes that he remembers how to play football after he decided not to play last year, mere months after signing a mega contract to stay in Houston after they traded New Copkin. Because remember, he was a piece of shit before he may have done sexual things to people that were not appropriate, allegedly. Maybe I yeah, gotta be careful. We're just going to be talking about football in this one because otherwise, this is going to get real, real interesting, <laughs> and, and no one wants to hear five hours this yeah no so assuming he's the same guy he was last time he actually played and assuming he plays because who knows deshaun watson is a slightly above average quarterback and i know that that's gonna stun a lot of people yeah i mean the browns publicly said that they think he's a top three guy in the league i don't i don't know if many people around the league believe that anymore but before he sat out and josh allen and herbert and burrow all kind of popped into that uh upper echelon people probably had him at that same spot damn near top five yeah after a four and 12 season which i think is very telling um now don't get me wrong in 2020 deshaun watson did pop he blossomed because in 2019 and every year before that he kind of sucked but his highlights were really dope um in 2020 he was actually a little above average in in almost every way granted i think that people have a very warped view of what exactly he is because he has a few exciting plays um First of all, actually, let's play a fun little game. Quickly describe what you think the average opinion of Deshaun Watson's game is. Oh, the average opinion of Deshaun Watson's game, I would say exciting quarterback that can do it, you know, with his arms or his legs. He's throw first, but when plays break down, he can go take off and make stuff happen. Uh, really smart, can throw to all three levels, kind of like your ideal QB. Not the strongest arm, but he can get it everywhere. Um, he has now, everything to get it done. Is this is this your opinion or the average opinion? Because I think most people think he's got a strong arm. Really? I think people think think it's like solid but they don't think he's in that you know in the special range okay but i mean i could be wrong you're you're right that his arm is not particularly strong it's not weak it's certainly not weak we're not talking like joe burrow stuff i gave his arm strength a b minus it's sufficient it's it's a little stronger than like a uh well it's a little stronger than a joe burrow it's not quite as strong as a russell wilson or a carson wentz but it's decent it's enough um Additionally, Deshaun Watson doesn't actually throw down the field that often. Um, he he was blessed to start his career with Bill O'Brien, who, let us not forget, brought Brock Osweiler and or TJ Yates to the playoffs in the pre-Watson era. Like, Bill O'Brien 
is not a good GM, but he can design some offense and call some plays. And it shows on tape because Deshaun Watson has a very high cheap play percentage of 47%, which means it's a lot of checkdowns and it's a lot of runs that don't really go anywhere. And he has a fairly low uh, positive play percentage of 26. Now, 26 is better than average, and it's it's good compared to bad quarterbacks. But if you look at the other good quarterbacks, the other dudes who are legitimately starting, you should be looking at like a 30% or better, you know? So for somebody that's as competent as he is, he's not particularly explosive as a passer, and he's not particularly explosive as a runner. One thing I'll give him that I was surprised about is he really cleaned up his turnover-worthy throws in 20. I think that that's the big key to his game taking off. He he only threw a pickable ball 11 times in 2020 on 560 dropbacks, which is only 2%, which is very solid. That's awesome. Yeah, that's that's really. Yeah, like the average pickable percentage uh, of the quarterbacks I've graded so far for 2021, which is a little different circumstances because there were actually crowds, which makes it harder to play offense, uh, at least on the road, Um, 3%. So like 2% would have been about the same as what Tom Brady did in 2021. Um, We're comparing apples to crab apples here, but 2% is still impressive. So he protected the ball especially well, which I didn't expect to see because it's not what I saw in 2019, 2018. And he was actually fairly accurate, being accurate on 75% of his passes, which again, the average is 72 and a half. He's coming in at a spot, uh, you know, a little bit below a Tom Brady or a Baker Mayfield and slightly above a guy like Josh Allen. Yeah, it's pretty good company to keep in that area. I mean, Josh Allen has his has his issues, but when you're when you're in the same breath as Tom Brady in any area, you're pretty happy, especially when it's turnover worthy. Yeah, like overall was Deshaun Watson awesome? No. Like his average game, his average game was a C plus. It was a 2.31. The cutoff for a C plus is a 2.30. So like when I say slightly above average, he is just mm, scraping above average when it comes to the algorithm. Now, obviously I take the algorithm with a grain of salt. I think he was above average. Um, He like the most, the mode, his most common performance was a C minus, which is perfectly fine. Like you can get by the C minus quarterback every game that's that's teddy bridgewater's career um yeah and his median score was a 2.15 so he's he's a middle of the road quarterback he's between 10 and 20 he sees down the road when it comes to his average performance scores his slugging per game is a 2.4 that is a dead ringer for a c to c plus like the dude's not special and it's really fucking funny to me because if you actually grade his throws you come away saying this is a really safe like mediocre quarterback who's like just fine but if you were to watch his highlights or God forbid, go and talk about him on Twitter. Everybody's going to come away saying he's so explosive. He changes the downfield game. And that's just not what he does. His game is primarily built upon precision and being really good at hitting those like six to 10 yard throws. Like that's where he's at his best accuracy wise is that second level, especially over the middle of the field, RPOs. He throws with actually pretty damn good zip, even if his distance and velocity aren't impressive on the whole. And again, you can't discount his mobility because he is not, uh, he's not a, an elite runner, but he's a good runner. Yeah, definitely. And he buys himself a lot of time. Yeah, now, it's that not is... just he's going to take off and pick up 25 yards. He's also going and running around, creating opportunities for guys to get open. And that is a tricky part of Deshaun Watson's game because he will eat a sack like a fat kid with donuts. 
he eats sacks on 6.4% of his dropbacks, which means that 6.4% of the time, if he drops back with the football in his hand, he's going to get sacked and it's going to be his fault. That is Justin Fields caliber stuff. That is amongst the worst in the league. It, it is the same as, it is literally the same as Justin Fields and Lamar Jackson. It is more than Joe Burrow. It is more than Matt Stafford. More than Joe Burrow is kind of damning. Joe Burrow is fourth behind Lamar, Justin Fields, and Deshaun Watson. And that's really ironic because I don't think anybody would imagine that just judging off the fact of or the facts of athleticism. But it turns out that sometimes uh, confidence and athleticism can be a curse when it comes to deciding when to just get rid of the ball in the pocket or paying attention to who's coming at. Um, I don't know if you actually get a net positive from Deshaun Watson's movement in the pocket and his ability to keep his eyes downfield when you subtract from that his propensity to take bad sack and and also engage in negative runs. Yeah, and those are crushing for your team. I mean, it, they're the same whether they're bad sacks or they're the negative runs. I mean, they're drive killer, right? Yep. You then have to have some incredible play to kind of dig yourself out of that hole. So that is where you get the volatility with him because, and we talked about it with Joe Burrow earlier of he's always trying to make the play happen and he does have some feel for the pocket and Deshaun more so than Joe Burrow that he's got the mobility to kind to create even more space for himself, but it can lead to a lot of those ugly plays where it's like, dude, just get rid of the ball. Yeah, no, I, I, I think we've said about everything we can with Deshaun. I don't know if you have anything to add, but uh, I'm going to say that I, I think he should be a little bit higher in this tier. I think he belongs in this tier, but is better than some of the other guys in front of him just because I think he is like he is consistently average with some ability to pop. Obviously, the bad sacks hurt him, but he doesn't turn the ball over. He's smart. He doesn't have a cannon, but his arm is capable. Like he's just a solid quarterback to me that doesn't like handicap your team all that often. And some of these other guys do a good amount of handicapping team. But I think overall, yeah, this is a good evaluation. So I would agree with you, but I would caution you to think of it like this. Basically, every quarterback in this tier, almost every quarterback in this tier has mostly been not very good, but has had one year that really impressed. And Deshaun Watson fits that category. He was mostly terrible and then had one good year. And it wasn't great. Like I heard, I think Seth Galina at PFF wrote an article about how Deshaun Watson's 2020 is arguably the greatest quarterback season in history. Please bet on fucking football games, you stupid Canadian idiot. See how I kept that clean? I kept that so clean, I didn't even curse. Yeah, I'm sure no one would have a problem with it now if Seth Galina heard this. He would be like, you know what? That was very respectful. I mean, the man said that Justin Herbert was Mitch Trubisky and doesn't belong in the NFL, so I don't really give a shit what the fuck he thinks about any goddamn thing, especially quarterback play. Anyhow. Those aren't those aren't two, two great ones, but continue. My point is simply that Deshaun Watson's best season came with a good head coach. He had a good head coach the whole damn time in Bill O'Brien. And even when Bill O'Brien left, they were running his offense, which is a good offense. He was given great receivers and still failed. His offensive line was mediocre. People like to rag on it because they see sack totals, but it was him, not them. He still failed. He finally had one good season. And by good, I mean, they went four and fucking 12 with the same roster that Davis Mills went five and four with, four and five with. I'm not impressed by the fact that he one time could perform well, despite always having a good cast, always having good opportunities, and frankly, still underachieving in his quote-unquote good year. Um, also, he took a year off of football. So I think only- that is the biggest room or area where you'd be concerned is he hasn't played. Like It's yeah. a big deal to take a full year off. Like The speed of the game will definitely, it'll get you. Well, also, 
having Bill O'Brien as your head coach is very clearly the best play caller that I think any of these quarterbacks in this tier have had. And he still stacks up about even with him. Yeah. My, my issue there is that like, I love Bill O'Brien as an offensive mind and as a play caller. I think he's a bad head coach because he doesn't know how to deal with people. So what? He's still getting put in good plays with good players around him. I mean, how bad can it get? Right. But like that, that stuff matters in a 17 game season now or 16 when he was coaching coaching uh but like if you keep pissing people off and just saying no do it my way like this is how it's gonna happen like they're not gonna buy in because as soon as stuff gets rough they're gonna go yeah fuck him he's not he's being a dick to us and it's not working um so i think that that does matter for the that team not that i think still having a well-designed offense helps him but it's not like he had sean McVay. are we also sure that bill o'brien was really a problem until he started trading away star players and making people mad that way like i didn't hear any complaints about bill o'brien in deshaun watson's first two or three years they always said that he was very you know everyone needs to listen to me i mean he he took over as the the team decider of everything like they made him the gm because he said make me gm or i'm throwing a (laughs) shit fit so i think yes like even though we didn't explicitly hear anything he's a dick he's a good football mind but he's a dick okay granted either way all these guys have one good season Deshaun came a year ago during a COVID year when he didn't play this past year. And Deshaun had, I think, the best supporting cast and coach of all these people in his good year. But let's not be vague and ambiguous. Let's move on to talking about the other quarterbacks that have mostly had one good year. All right. So at number 15, it was right in front of Deshaun. So quarterback number 15 is a little bit of a projection just because he only played four or five games last year. But we got Jameis Winston of New Orleans Saints. See, this is where, like, I, I disagree that he's in front of Deshaun. But go ahead. You you watch more Jameis than I did. Okay. Jameis is tricky because he's fucking hilarious when he makes mistakes. He and he, he, he is not a real person. I cannot imagine trusting him with my taxes, much less my NFL football franchise. But he's actually a pretty good quarterback. And I'm I'm actually hopeful that LASIK will have improved his game because famously famous Jameis played his first like four or five years of his career without glasses or contacts, but also with very imperfect vision because glasses or contacts are nerdy and uncomfortable. I I can as a as a recipient of LASIK, I can only imagine this would really, really help him play football. And we saw last year, you're not gonna believe this. Okay, I graded four of Jameis's five games from last year, right? Guess the percentage of his interception. Don't look at the fucking screen where it says it clearly. Just guess. Uh, Remember, we said know. two is two is really good. Three is like pretty solid. Four. We'll go with four. We'll go four percent. Point seven nine. Are you serious? I'm. I swear to Christ. Unless the fucking unless the spreadsheet is somehow adding up wrong, I've got three interceptable passes. Yeah, three interceptable passes. Boom. The man protected the football. Now a lot of this is because uh, not Sean McVay, but the other Irish. Sean Payton, Sean Payton castrated their offense. I was going to say, I remember they they did not throw downfield. It was the anti-Aryans. It was the Drew Brees offense. They did not change when they added a younger quarterback with a much better arm who is ostensibly much more explosive and honestly needs to throw downfield to stay in rhythm. Um, I hated it. I couldn't tell if Sean McVay, God damn it, Sean Payton, you know how I feel about you Irish. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're all the same to me. Um, <laughs> I, I can't tell if Sean Payton just got addicted 
to dinks and dunks and conservative offense, a la Adam Gase, a la Ben McAdoo, but it didn't stop when the quarterback changed. Um, I hope, I pray that now that Sean Payton's gone, whoever's running their offense will, will you know, tap their scrot and sling it. I'm not, I'm not going to bet on that happening. Um, however, even in this castrated version of an offense that they ran, where Jameis just had an absurd percentage of, uh, of pedestrian, not pedestrian plays, but cheap plays, he was up at 46%, which is for Jameis, absurd. Like this is a guy who in Tampa was rocking like a 32% pedestrian play rate or a cheap play rate. So they really reined him in. They put they put a saddle on that horse. Um, and it ended up, yeah, he limited turnovers like crazy. He didn't fumble ever. Uh, and he didn't throw many picks. The elite throws went way the hell down. The great throws went way the hell down. But we're also looking at a short sample size. And I'm hopeful because... If you could just get him, if you go back to the Bruce Arians days in Tampa, if you could just get Jameis to not make that back-breaking decision or throw that pick where he just clearly didn't notice on underneath coverage like a robber or a spy, he was good, like better yeah, than I, even this grade. But I, yeah, I don't disagree <laughs> with you. He just had those crippling moments every game, or like multiple crippling moments every game where you were like, dude, I know. And I saw a little bit of that in New Orleans last year again he only played a handful of game um but in the few that i watched him play it was kind of the same thing where it's like you know he's he's not as incredibly reckless but he still had a couple of those points in like each game where he's just like chucking balls 50 yards downfield into triple coverage and you're like i know the no dude i know the i know i know the exact play you're talking about because i couldn't tell if i should grade that as elite or interceptable when it happened because it hit the receiver in the hands for a touchdown 50 like 40 yards downfield but he was running around like a chicken with his head off when he let go of it and i don't know how he could have made that decision on purpose so like what do you do (laughs) i counted as a bad throw because i thought it was a really stupid thing to do yeah but you know if that's truly what Jameis had designed in his brilliant mind maybe it was elite and and I think we're going to learn a lot about Jameis this year. I pray he stays healthy. I think that he's probably got the best receivers that the Saints have had in damn near a decade because I think Chris Olave is average, but average is something. I think Michael Thomas is replaceable, but he will be useful to some extent in the slot. And then I don't remember what Deontay... I don't remember what number 11 that is a wide receiver for the Saints changed his name to, but I like him a lot. He's super fast. Um, he changed his, I don't know if you know, he changed his name like three years into his NFL career this year. I didn't know that. Yeah, I think he's like trying to honor his stepfather or something. I, You know, awesome stuff. It's just, there's a lot of names to learn and I haven't heard it on broadcast yet. Um, so yeah, uh, basically the, the reason I have Jameis over Watson and we're splicing arm hairs here, very fine Scandinavian arm hairs, because I have quarterbacks 12 through 16 all rated as a 2.4. It is purely a matter of preference after that and confident. Okay, that's fair then. Yeah, that, yeah. that makes sense to me. They have the exact same grade. It's just you have to put somebody in front of somebody because you can't have them all tied for 12th place. I guess you could, um, but that's no fun. Yeah, I just went with the one that I trust the most. And I trust Jameis a little bit more than Deshaun because I've seen Jameis be at least impressive for several seasons, including in 2019 when Jameis frankly dominated Deshaun Watson's Texans and lost only because of 
obscene turnovers. Like Deshaun couldn't move the ball. Jameis moved the ball. It's just sometimes he also gave it away. And I think yeah, that I can, I can count on that going away more than I can count on Deshaun learning how to move the ball. Yeah, so I think that's just where it goes to preference. Yeah, I think James's volatility is what kind of just makes him a much harder sell to me because he can go and help your team out a lot, but then he still breaks you. Whereas Deshaun, you know that like you're at least going to have a chance. And when I'm thinking average QBs, let me get the rest of the team going and get someone that won't throw a back-breaking pick. But exactly as you said, it's just preference. Uh, I don't really have a ton to say about Jameis because we we've seen him a lot. We're going to see him in a, you know, another year of a new offense. Hopefully his knee is healthy and he doesn't have issues with it. The wide receivers are going to be interesting because they got a uh, Michael Thomas Landry's there too. Oh God. Yeah. They about have your guy Jarvis, the least explosive receiving core that's actually competent. And then, I mean, Marcus Callaway, he's got some speed. You're right. It, I think it's Deontay Hardy now. I think it's Deontay it? Harris last. Yes. Right? Yes. Um, yeah, but I just looked it up. He said it hardy. Um, he's got speed too, but yeah, when you're dealing with Michael Thomas and Jarvis, he's gonna have to hit tight windows. He's gonna have to hit tight windows. And I trust him to do that to some extent, but really what they have to do if you really want to maximize Jameis, you gotta throw deep. You gotta throw deep and you gotta throw second level because he doesn't have the elite zip on his ball. Like that's not the way he's ever thrown, but he's accurate. So like you just gotta give him I don't want to say space because like yeah every quarterback's good at throwing into space but you need to give him areas of field where arcing balls that are pinpoint accurate are more desirable than a zipped in their line drive because that's not his game never was that that draft was do you want the guy who throws with touch and arc and has good arm strength in Jameis Winston or do you want the zip in the drive and the pinpoint accuracy of a Marcus Mariota I I like Mariota choice I, I I think that the Titans made the right choice and then proceeded to make every wrong choice thereafter in every other aspect of their entire franchise. Go Amy Adams Strunk doing a great job, but that's for a different podcast. Indeed. Uh, Jameis, going to be an interesting year, like it will be for a lot of guys in the NFL. I'm excited to see what happens. I know we're going to get a heck of a lot of fun plays from him. Whether they're good or bad, they're going to be fun for us. Are, are you I ready? Think it's time. Are you ready to have the exact same fucking conversation about QB 14? Because it's the same thing. Heck yeah. Who we got at 14? Carson Wentz. Ooh, another I was going to say, it's fucking, it's gross. It's it is so gross, but yeah. whereas everybody else has had like one good season, I would argue that Carson Wentz had like one and a half to two because in 2018, I want to say maybe 2019, he had that one season with the Eagles where he was actually like pretty good. He was disappointing. Everybody's like, oh, what happened to Carson Wentz? But that's because the year before he was an MVP candidate. So they were like, oh, he's not the same. And it's like, well, he's still pretty good. Uh, no, he is no longer that good. He has just continued getting no. worse. I'm going to be honest. I hadn't watched him much since he's been in Philadelphia. I didn't really pay attention to how the Colts played last year, but so I had memories of like a guy that tried to do too much hero ball, but he could get the ball downfield. He could create stuff. And then I watched five games, six games of him in Indy. Mr. Krabs this meme. <laughs> 
and oh my goodness, it's a totally different dude. A little bit of it's because of what they asked him to do, but anytime yeah. he throws downfield, I'm terrified. Yeah, it's gonna be five yards under thrown and inside. Like he yeah. always throws inside of the receivers, puts it, it he terrifies me throwing downfield. Go yeah, ahead. it was it, it was rough. I mean, so it was a lot of the same things that I say about Jameis. Even better arm talent and physicality and ability to scramble, create in the pocket. Like really physically, he's a poor man's Josh Allen. Problem is like, like he's got a B plus to a minus arm. He's fast. He's not like obviously a top tier runner the way Josh Allen is, but he's a good runner. The second you can legitimately run running plays with him. Um, the problem is just, uh, dude, I think his brain is broken because it's not even that he's necessarily inaccurate. He hits passes and like he's fairly consistent with certain passes. It's just every once in a while, it's like he goes into a little mini slump and you're like, dude, what the hell? Do you do you remember what you're doing here? Like it's a slant. You throw the ball in front of where he's going and then he catches it while he runs. You don't 100%. throw the ball above his head 20 he, feet. Like <laughs> He would definitely do that where he gets streaky in game where it'd be he'd come out for two drives and miss five out of six throws like just you know completely inaccurate not even necessarily bad decisions but like he can't even throw a six yard out route but then he'd come out for another series where he's you know standing in while he's got four people all in his face and he slips balls in between a safety and linebacker like in the second level and you're like holy shit nice job man so he's streaky he's weird yeah and and, and like i said we've seen him be really good for two different years his mvp is like the super bowl year he was incredible he was yeah. he was no, legitimately no, very great and then the year after that or maybe it was the year after that i think it was 2019 i want to say yeah i think it was it was the year right after that but i graded all it was one of the first quarterbacks i did this breakdown where i grade every one of the games for and i gave him a b plus i was like you know this isn't great but like this is good football like he's a top 10 quarterback totally you know he's on the cusp of reaching that top five like i would be thrilled if he was my quarterback because he's young and he's pretty good and he's shown he can be great and then it just keeps getting worse and there's rumors out there about him having like confidence issues and not getting along in the locker room and it's all mental. And I thought that Reich could fix it because they're like super Christian buddy buddies. Uh, it was pretty clear that early in the season, Reich was like, oh no, kind of gave up on Wentz. That's honestly, that's Jonathan Taylor exploded last year because the Colts gave up on trying to throw the ball with Wentz. Yeah, I mean, the first handful of games, they throw downfield. Wentz gets a lot of opportunities to, you know, go to the second level even throw deep and then the entire second half of the season he get he would attempt like one or two passes beyond 25 yards a game and yeah. i don't know five beyond 10 everything just became dinks and dunks and please god jonathan taylor save our team yeah and and it's it's one of those things because i wouldn't say that wentz even played that bad as a whole last year it's just that they cut off the upside like yeah if if carson wentz would have maintained the same level of play throwing downfield as he had in pre previous years and then added on how accurate and consistent he was on the gimmies and like playing the conservative ball that Frank Reich likes, it would have been a good season. And that's why I was troubled. I was like, shit. I mean, I was kind of impressed by if you took the the short game from this year's Carson Wentz and you taped it over the short game of like any previous year's Carson Wentz, that's a good quarterback. So if he could just add back the shit that he used to do well, we got a good quarterback here. But when it gets to when a dude is in his late 20s and his brain might be broken 
all bets are off. Yeah, no, because I, I agree with you in that watching him, he didn't try and play hero ball a lot. It, it came out occasionally and, you know, in games where they were down or tight situations and he, he needed to make something happen. But for the most part, he let the game come to him and he was really good in the short game. He played his Adam Gase, you know, dink and dunk offense. He sat in with pressure and still delivered accurate curls and flats and slants and everything. But yeah, all the downfield stuff, all the kind of like highlight plays that we saw from Wentz in Philadelphia, they just disappeared unless it was him escaping from a sack because he still is incredible at escaping from sack. Yes. And that's why he's like poor man's Josh Allen, which is a compliment. Um, the other thing is he, he kept all of the negative plays that he used to have, which is kind of concerning because like I can look past a bunch of interceptable throws and a bunch of inaccurate throws when you're throwing downfield, but I can't do it as well when you've cut off the explosive the explosive element of his game like and he obviously had a lot of detrimental plays so like the, the classic example is uh this when they played new england towards the end of the year and they they beat the piss out of new england in that game it was never close because mac jones was terrible and that's why mac jones was talked about a few weeks ago instead of today but i felt like i was i was charting the game as we went because it's monday night or it's thursday night football i think and uh so obviously in the primetime games you get every camera angle you do not need all 22 if you're watching one of those games live you could see every damn thing um, I, I felt while I was charting, like, oh, Carson Wentz is playing pretty solid football. And then I looked down at my chart and I'm like, oh my God, this guy's, he kind of blows. Like he's got three pickable balls. He's, he's only thrown three bad passes outside of the three pickable balls. Like he's mostly been accurate, but they're only throwing dinks and dunks. Like it, it's frustrating. Um, I don't know what to do with Carson Wentz. I'm not excited about him. And I don't even think he's a very good fit in Washington because they're going to run. The Scott Turner offense is is notoriously conservative. It's all the dinks and dunks. So it's the same shit he did last year. And if he maintains that high negative play rate, because we've we've not finished with Carson Wentz. Uh, You graded a few of his games for me yesterday, and I've graded a few of them. We've got 10 games done. It's not perfect by any means, and I have to double check everything. But his negative play rate was 30 three percent almost small sample size inorganized sample size that's really high and when you have so many cheap plays you can't afford to be fucking around with all this negativity so i have him above Jameis and watson because i've seen more of the good stuff than i did with them but whereas watson has his best season recently wentz has his best season uh before i went to law school yeah that's my issue with wentz <laughs> like he would definitely be at the bottom of this list for me um like Watson is for sure ahead of him. Jameis is ahead of him just because he has all the negative plays, but he doesn't do the positive anymore. And it's been so long since we've seen positive. And honestly, last year he got so lucky. Like there were multiple balls that should have been picked off that turned into positive plays, whether they were like the classic Joe Flacco pass interference that hit the defender in the back of the helmet, but he never turned around and tackled the wide receiver. So instead of a pick it turned into like a 55 yard positive play for them yeah and that happened consistently so i have i expected to like once a lot more than i did and man i would not be excited about him as my quarterback you know who people are really excited about as a team's new quarterback who's that quarterback number 13 russell wilson oh this is another one you know, people have softened on him, but Russ at 13 is probably going to get a couple people going. Honestly, this is an upgrade from where I had him last. Uh, 
Dude, he fell off a cliff for no reason. I I never thought that he was great. I, I didn't. I thought he was super overrated. And then he came out first half of 2020 like gangbusters, trying to win an MVP, looking awesome. And then about halfway through the year, he decided to take a nosedive off of a real tall bridge, man. <laughs> And it hasn't gotten better since at all. Like, I think he's played like two good games since week eight of 2020. Yeah, I remember that switch because he was getting incredible amounts of hype. And then he just couldn't throw downfield. Team started playing him differently and he hasn't been able to adjust. And it seems like it's just carried on. He's had full yeah. off seasons. He still can't change. Yeah, no. And then people wanted to blame his... uh his what do you call it? Um, his sprained or oh, his mallet finger. That's what it was that he got that he got in the Rams game. Well, I got bad news for you. He wasn't really good in that Rams game before he got hurt. And Geno Smith outplayed him when he came in in that game. Uh, Geno Smith returned to form a couple weeks later, but he showed that it could be done. Um, after that game, when Walker, when Wilson came back, he was putrid. And I graded several games. Actually, today I graded two games just to make sure. Um, Waited until his mallet finger was healthy. So I did week 13 and week 18. 13 against San Francisco, 18 against Arizona. Dude sucks. Dude just sucks. He's just not accurate. And he's he's gotten a little bit better with eating sacks, but he still eats sacks. And he's lost the mobility element to his game. He can still step in, the, step up in the pocket. He can move around a little bit in the pocket. But he used to have that Kyler Murray thing where like when he runs, you just don't understand how anybody can get hands on him because he's so quick. He doesn't have that anymore. So I, I agree. He's slowed down. That's definitely, uh, I think it's changing how he thinks he can play too. So he's second mm-hmm. guessing himself. Yeah. So like he still throws probably the best deep ball in the NFL. Like it's elite. He had 3%, 3.3% of his dropbacks were elite throws. It's incredible. It's top notch. Um, he throws more than one a game. Like that's, he's he's really good at that still. And DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett really make it easy to throw those deep balls. He's going to have that in Denver. Love Jerry Judy. Throw him those deep balls. Cortland Sutton, throw him those deep balls. Um, I just don't think that he is any good at the intermediate throws anymore. And I don't think he's good enough at the short throws. He fumbles quite a bit and he has taken on um he's gotten addicted to throwing picks a little bit he's up at four percent pickable balls and they're always the same thing every single pick damn near he doesn't notice an underneath coverage and that is not what you expect from a quarterback in his mid-30s and i don't think it's going to change yeah it's kind of if he hasn't figured it out at this point he's not and i I think he might actually be struggling with a physical limitation here because he is 510 you know and not like the baker mayfield 510 like he's legit 510 maybe 59 so yeah. and he was always able to get around it because he was so quick that he could yeah. get, he could create lanes for himself to see. But it's hard to see an underneath coverage when you're taking a five-step drop or even a seven-step drop. You need more of a nine-step drop, which is unheard of. It's hard for him to see over that line, see that underneath coverage, like a robber, a spy, a dropped defensive lineman, you know, those the fun looking zones in Madden. Uh and my favorite defense. But those underneath dropping, stinging zones, Wilson doesn't see him. And I think it might legitimately be because they are out of his sight range because he has to look over his offensive line. And I think that might be why he focuses so much on the deep ball. Uh, he also has a really hard time keeping balls low, uh, which is ironic, but he's always throwing at an upward trajectory. So his short throws, his screens, his swings, his short outs, his curls even have a tendency to get high on him. And that's bad. Um, now he's lucky because Cortland Sutton will still be able to grab those things. But if you're relying on your receiver to be above average and make special plays in order to keep you on track, that's called 
called being a bad quarterback. Um, now, I wouldn't say he's a bad quarterback because it, it's really helpful when you're the best in the entire league at the most important thing, throwing a deep ball. But he's towards the bottom of the NFL in accuracy, positive play percentage, negative play percentage, and he turns the ball over much more than average. And his game grades have not been positive in a long time. Honestly, yeah, that, having a, the deep ball really is floating him past it, a lot of regression. It, it's floating him. And and frankly, the reason he's a 2.4 and he's the second highest graded 2.4 is because once upon a time he was serviceable and for eight games, he was awesome. And it's literally just literally my my the bottom of my B minus tier is how recent and how and how many good seasons have you had? Because the rest suck. So Watson had the one. It was recent, but I don't trust it. Jameis had the one. It was pretty recent and then he got LASIK. I'm hopeful. Wentz had one and a half to two. Wilson had like two and a two to two and a half. And quarterback 12 is just really ancient. Joe, so who do we got at number 12? <laughs> Thank you for playing along with my game. Um, quarterback number 12 is somebody that I have always been very fond of and used to be quarterback two just like two short years ago. Oh, how far Matt Ryan has fallen. And by Matt Ryan, I only mean the velocity with which he can throw a football. Because if he had an arm still, he'd be great. Yeah, he's one that has definitely got the the physical limitations have appeared and they are very prevalent now where it's it's noodle arm territory he never had a strong arm but it has gotten bad uh it's b minus is generous it's some c plus stuff it's some burrow stuff not happy yeah and i think it's only gonna get worse yeah yeah no it is but he is in a in a dome in a warm weather division with a coach who obviously as we talked about with Wentz knows how to keep that ball checked down he's smart that's not leaving him so it's it's literally this grade is a wash it is a prediction on his arm strength I will tell you how to grade Matt Ryan going forward if his arm has some jump and he can throw the ball 40 yards downfield he is a top 10 quarterback if he does not he is not that is it it's just purely how good do you think his arm is because the rest is there yeah I agree with you and especially after watching so much Frank Reich offense and I watched him a lot during that Philip Rivers season and I mean Matt Ryan should be really well suited for this because yeah. it's what he can do he's still really smart he's an accurate thrower of the football super precise he, he's super precise if he can throw downfield at all it's going to be wonderful the only thing that i worry about for him is that the indianapolis offensive line does not pass block as well as i had come to because carson wentz did a really really good job of evading pressures that came in a second and a half after the ball got snapped yep that I don't know if Matt Ryan will be able to deal with. So I think that's the biggest thing for him going forward. Now, they, that offensive line group did get COVID and they also got hurt. So they were they were mismatching and hodgepodging a lot. But they are severely overrated because people are like, oh, Quentin Nelson, oh, low sack totals. So, well, when you're throwing a fucking flat every play, you're going to keep sack totals down. But they're not a good offensive line. They're okay. I think they run block well. I think they're a good, like, mauling offensive line, but pass blocking. I can get behind that. They get beat. Their tackles were getting collapsed a lot. Well, they they did have hurt tackles uh, mm-hmm. and COVIDed tackles. So again, they're going to get everybody back healthy. I think they'll be about average, maybe even a little better. I think that Matt Ryan will be able to help with the protection because that doesn't strike me as something that Carson Wentz does. Uh, if he point. does, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen him directing protections. I know Matt Ryan does. I think it'll help. 
Um, there's not a lot to say about Matt Ryan. He was once a truly elite quarterback. He is a Hall of Famer in my book. He's got everything but mobility, or at least he used to. It's like his arm was probably a B to B plus arm, at, you know, when he was in his heyday. I'd say B plus, but it's not there anymore. It's fallen a letter grade and it might be falling more. So yeah, all the only thing to talk about when trying to analyze Matt Ryan is how strong is his arm. Yeah, if if their offensive line pass blocks even average and he has any jump to his arm, he's he should be set up for a really nice season. All right, so real quick, we're going to take a quick commercial break, and then we're going to talk about the better end of the B-minus quarterbacks. All right, and we are back to talk about the upper echelon of the B-minus quarterbacks. These are the guys that don't just have one season of good play. Actually, some of them have zero, but I think they're better than the others pretty clearly at this point. That is an interesting little intro there. So who do we got? Who's number 11 then? For number 11, we're going with the golden boy, the chosen one. Trevor Lawrence, who I famously said was super overrated coming out in the draft. Yeah, this is another one that you are definitely going to get a lot of comments about. You know, we, we have our stars. We have the, the Joe Burrow grades, the what I'm assuming Deshaun Watson grades will come out. feel like they'll come after you for this as well. Yeah, and uh, I kind of want to come after me for it too, because like you'll remember last year I had in 2021 draft, I had Trevor Lawrence as my QB1, but I very explicitly said that's more a condemnation of this draft class, which I think has shitty quarterbacks. And has almost nothing to do with Trevor Lawrence, who I think is very much like Andrew Luck. But like, we now know that Andrew Luck didn't live up to the ceiling people thought he could have. Andrew Luck was a good B to B plus quarterback at his best. He was never great. He was never elite. He was certainly no Tom Brady. I think Trevor Lawrence could be Andrew Luck. I think that's like his high end. I think he could end up being a little worse. And frankly, I'm glad for his sake that they got rid of Urban Meyer because he would have made sure that anybody ended up worse. Yeah, we were talking about bad situations with Davis Mills a few weeks ago. Um, and I had to stop myself because it was like, yeah, probably the worst situation. But no, yeah, we have we have an Urban Meyer fiasco in Jacksonville. So thank God that NBA pretty quickly even though it still somehow was the longest leash any coach has ever gotten in terms of missteps but well well it's fucking hilarious because about this time last year we did one of our very first pods talking about how the urban meyer hire was just oh that's a funky sounding little phrase there the urban meyer hire was fucking stupid and i told the little anecdote one of my favorites about how a good friend of shod Khan's was telling me when i was in high school like oh shod Khan's a genius he didn't become a billionaire on accident you watch he's going to turn those jaguars around and 10 years later uh in the time it took for me to go from a homeless team in a car to a fucking high-powered lawyer in manhattan shod khan has done absolutely fucking shit with the jaguars not a goddamn thing uh, hey, they have that afc championship game zippity doo and then they, they got rid of every piece of it for almost nothing um every single major part well okay they got a lot in return for Jalen ramsey they just then turned the high value picks into the underside of my foot just it's, it's been a rough run for the jags but maybe trevor lawrence brings him out personally i think you got him too high and i am curious to see why you got some more over here okay so first of all my grade on him coming out in the draft was a 2.5 which is what i think he will eventually be like i think that is his average outcome as an NFL quarterback, 2.5 grade, which is exactly where he is right now. And a lot of that is because when you go back and watch Trevor Lawrence's tape, you feel bad because it's not like Davis Mills, where in Davis's Mills, Davis's Mills's cases, I'm now squirrel 
Billy Dan from Letterkenny. There was just no receiving talent around him, and the offensive line wasn't particularly good, and the scheme was like lackluster and kind of conservative. With the Jaguars, I'm not certain everybody on the field knew what the play was. I'm not certain there was a play even called. Everything gets run out of Bunch, and Bunch is the dumbest. Unless you have like a really cool design that requires Bunch for like a crack black or a rub. I can't talk today. A crack back or a rub. Bunch is fucking stupid because you're saying, hey, defenders, instead of figuring out where you have to go and giving you an opportunity to get lost in space, just kind of clump up. And by default, you'll be pretty close to the ball. Um, fucking really stupid. Colin Johnson is six foot six, but he can't run or catch. LaVisca Chenault got hurt. Uh, DJ Chark didn't play. Dan Arnold is not an elite tight end. We saw this coming. And Travis Etienne didn't play. And then they had, uh, who was their shitty running back that people talked about for fantasy football purposes? It doesn't fucking matter. So James Robinson, I believe, because he had a crazy rookie year and then just got buried. They, and they didn't play him. Yeah, I don't they think Mar- They had the, the husk of Marvin Jones run around out there still having sure hands. So Marvin Jones was probably Trevor Lawrence's favorite target and actually played about how well well, you thought Marvin Jones would have. He's a B minus receiver and he should be a wide receiver too. You can give him some jump balls, especially in a spread offense where he gets one-on-ones, but they didn't give him one-on-ones because everything was out of bunch. So everything is against zone and he's trying to fucking snag a ball from in between two defenders that he can't separate from. It was all bullshit all the time. I only graded five of Trevor Lawrence's games so far because I just don't have the heart to watch a man get abused like that so continuously, especially with the long hair. Kind of feels like domestic violence. But from what I saw, I've graded about 200 50 dropbacks so far. He still managed to be accurate at a high clip. He's at about 78% accuracy with the passes I've seen him throw. And it's a tiny sample size. I know it's a third of a season, but you can get a strong feel for it. And I don't know how many times I need to see a receiver run the wrong route or him get hit or just generally be hung out to dry before I get the pitch. Um, it was a bit of a wash of a year, but he protected the ball fairly well. I didn't see any fumbles in the five games I watched and he only threw three pickables. The upside wasn't there, but there wasn't a lot of upside to be had because his receivers were not explosive and the offense was terrible and he's being coached terribly but he still has all the traits that I really liked about him coming out or not really liked like like frankly in the 2022 draft Trevor Lawrence would have been QB2 maybe three depart depending on Carson Strong's knee because like obviously you can't discount the fact that the man is incapable of, of moving or like walking but if Carson Strong was healthy I would have him as a better prospect than Trevor Lawrence full stop so you're throwing a lot of hot takes out there today well, I feel like we we address every single one we're going to get derailed. We are. We are not going to, we would get derailed. We are not going to address them. You want to hear about my Trevor Lawrence slash uh, 2022 draft takes? Go back and listen to the draft podcast. That's why we make them. They are archived. Go ahead. We're going to talk about Trevor Lawrence's traits real quick because he's still got a big arm, not huge, not a cannon, but it's that Baker Mayfield caliber where it's, there's nothing he can't do, but he's not going to transcend time and space the way Josh Allen will with the velocity of his throws. Um, He's a pretty accurate quarterback, even though his consistency of accuracy is a little lacking. And as much as I hate to say it, because it totally goes back on a lot of the things I believe in, his accuracy is probably inconsistent because his mechanics are weird. He throws upward and he has got a clunky release and I don't love any of it, but I'm not concerned with it as long as the outcome ends up figuring itself out. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I know your your takes on throwing motion and everything are pretty uh, non-traditional. Well, the thing with Trevor Lawrence is it just doesn't feel like he got coached since high school because Clemson was also fucking back asswards when it comes to their yeah. offensive scheme. Clemson does not coach their quarterback. 
No, they run high school offenses. Like they got DJ Wigalele in there and they're like, huh, you know what we should do with you? The exact same eight plays we ran with Taj Boyd, Deshaun Watson, and Trevor Lawrence, and half of them are quarterback draws. They're fucking putrid. Uh, not Debo Samuel, but Debo Sweeney is a fraudster. He should not be a head coach for any team other than recruiting. He brings nothing to the table. He is a worthless idiot, and I have it on strong confirmation he's not particularly literate. I have lots of fun little anecdotes about people in the NFL world. Um Trevor Lawrence also has good mobility. I think his physical traits are really similar to Andrew Lux. And I think that that's the biggest source of hope for him to eventually transcend Jacksonville's bullshit and become a legitimately good quarterback. I may have Trevor Lawrence a little too high with a 2.5 grade, but if it comes down to it, I would rather have Trevor Lawrence than any of the guys we've named so far on this podcast, much less in this, like in this podcast today, much less in the series that we're doing, ranking the quarterbacks. There's some projection here, but I'm optimistic that with, like, look, I'm not a huge Doug Peterson fan either, but with a competent head coach that's not going around fingering teenagers and kicking kickers. Trevor Lawrence is going to look really, really good next year compared to what he looked like last year. Yeah, I don't disagree with you there. I mean, I think he is too high right now because so much of it is projection. And even though he looks solid in a complete dumpster fire of a rookie year as a guy that already needed coaching, I think it's encouraging. But to have him this high already is a little a little out there for me. But you're right. I mean, I think he, he has all the traits. There's a reason that people talked about him as a surefire number one pick for like three years. And he is in a much better situation this year simply by having a competent head coach. You know, Doug Peterson, I don't think he's a stud either, but he's going to have a well-functioning organization. Well, he's he's going to at least care about coaching football. He's not going to be at the bar getting drunk because he's sad because he lost a couple of years. Like, yeah, he's going to be there. Yeah. And like, that was the thing about Philly was even though he was kind of terrible at picking his higher ups on his coaching staff, he was great at keeping everyone like happy, moving along, communicating like the Eagles won that Super Bowl because they just like caught fire and worked well and everyone liked Doug. So I think that will be, you know, kind of the opposite situation as what he had last year in the best way. Obviously, it'll be hopefully his coordinators are good this time around, but it, it it's way better for him and should let him actually grow and try and learn into his traits. So where would you put Trevor Lawrence if this was like, if you were making your own list, where around would you put him? Uh, I need the full list in front of me. See, I think he fits really well in the C-plus range right now, where he's kind of in that, like, the a, a step above Davis Mills. Okay. Because... I, I think he has, you know, he has better traits in Davis Mills. He has, you know, a lot more games played and tape behind him that makes me confident that he is a good quarterback. But I can't put him in front of like Dak or Kirk and probably not even Burrow at this point. I would rather have Lawrence, but I can't say definitively that he's better. Yeah. Until I see him produce beyond like a hey, solid rookie year in a shitty situation, like where I'm not giving qualifications on a season. Um, so I'd probably have him in there. Like, I think he, I agree with you on, I would rather have him than probably anyone else that we've talked about. But in terms of where he 
actually is today. Not this is here. this is fair. Um, yeah, this is fair. I the reason that I have him in the B minus tier is because, and maybe I should have led with this at the very beginning of the podcast, but typically I think that a B minus or above quarterback, he can be the guy that wins your game. Maybe not often, especially in the case of a B minus guy. Like, yeah, Jameis Winston's not carrying your team that often to a win, but it's been done. He can do it. I don't think Kirk Cousins is ever going to do that. I don't think Dak Prescott is ever going to do that. And so I think that that's the line of demarcation. When I look at Trevor Lawrence, he actually did lead his team to at least one win they probably didn't deserve last year. What game was that? Against Miami week six in London. He was fucking incredible. Like it was really, really good, really clean football. And, you know, Miami's no studs. It was Tua, but he he was great. Uh, let me pull up the stats for that game real quick. I gave him an A plus on the game. He had an elite throw, four great throws, six solid throws, and only seven bad throws. So we're looking at 82% accuracy, uh, 25.5% positive plays, only 19% negative plays with a slugging score of 11. And he was maneuvering in that pocket because Miami was getting after his ass and he was just moving around, avoiding sacks. It was, it was great. Like it was what you wanted to see from Trevor Lawrence. If you're a Jaguars fan that tells you he is the guy we draft. Granted, yeah, I mean, looking at these numbers, uh, that's a crazy impressive game. No, it was um, great. And <laughs> the amount of the, the pocket movement alone. Yeah, he had 13 positive moves in the pocket. So that's 13 times where either he's evading a rusher, he's making a legitimate throw under pressure, or he is making a smart throw away. Uh, he had four throwaways in the game. Um, one of them was very stupid, but the other three were like, he lived to fight another day, evading pressure, getting the ball safely out of bounds throwaways all of which i give a plus pocket movement to because it's a hell of a lot better than a sack or a bad throw yeah and man i love seeing that with young quarterbacks like obviously throwaways are not fun nobody wants an aaron Rodgers. yeah it, and it we'll, we'll let that one slide <laughs> um we'll talk about him um but you know a lot of guys they come in and especially the high overall guys that have been told their god their entire life and have likely been incredibly successful to this point they don't give up on stuff and they try and play hero ball and they just have inexplicable turnovers i mean josh allen that killed him early on it's been a problem for baker carson wentz has always had that issue and especially guys that are able to maneuver and get out of sacks which it looks like lawrence does pretty well i feel like you have to worry about it even more because they just have so much time to try and force something so seeing a few throwaways as a rookie, I'm like, all right, he's he's reading, he's not panicking, he's got the big picture. Yeah, no, I, again, I was never the biggest fan of Trevor Lawrence. This time a year ago, I was probably like one of the lowest, like in the in the top 10% of people that are low on Trevor Lawrence. But I, we've kind of come full circle because people, first of all, nobody watches Jaguars games because they respect their own lives and time. I don't. Uh, and frankly, the results were putrid. So how could he have been that good? Um, Kind of ironic, we just got done talking about how Deshaun Watson's breakout season was 4-12, and and that should tell us that maybe it wasn't so great. And then we're talking about how Trevor Lawrence is still pretty good despite going like 4-12. and But the circumstances are just so very different. Like, same division, but now it's much better than it was two years ago, three years ago. Uh, additionally, Urban Meyer is a 
a little bit worse of a coach than Bill O'Brien, uh, you know, because it's all, it's at least a wash when it comes to who's a nicer guy to get along with. And then Bill O'Brien's like a very good X's and O's coach, whereas Urban Meyer is a fucking horse's ass. So, and this is all stuff that we said a year ago. This is not news. Like I thought Ohio State got better when Urban Meyer quote unquote left and retired for medical reasons and totally not at all because of recruiting violations and covering up domestic violence. Like Urban Meyer leaves uh, sparkling track records everywhere that he coaches. So I, I'm sure it had nothing to do with any of the many crimes and alleged uh, issues that happened during his time at Ohio State. I think that he's a great man and a sculptor of young minds because Aaron Hernandez technically didn't murder anybody under his tenure. And that's more than basically every other coach Aaron Hernandez ever had could say. <laughs> you know, that's a, that's a great point. Uh, the, the science is behind you. The, the researchers <laughs> will support you. The science has not changed in this manner. Um, enough about serial killers. I want to talk about Raiders. I like that. That was well done. Yeah, it's um, like an old-fashioned serial killer when it was more glamorous. So I know uh, you're probably figuring out, but who you got at number 10? Number 10, the, uh, the watershed ranking, if you will, the number everybody cares about. Number 10, I have Derek Carr, and uh, I didn't feel great about that at first. And then this morning, I watched some more tape. I had graded five of his games. Now I've graded nine. And you know, uh, I, I'm impressed. And also, okay, the first four games I watched that just happened, you now all prior to today, they just happened to be four of his very worst games. We're talking like Ds and Fs. And then I watched the, the other five games today, most of which happened to be his very best games. He got an A, he got a couple B pluses. He looked really good. And I've determined that Derek Carr is the type of quarterback who can literally do anything. Everything's on the table with him in the positive ways, but he's got a little bit of that Kirk Cousins mentality to him where he's just such a pussy. And for years, Derek Carr's favorite thing to do was get a little hint of pressure, panic, shut down his entire body like a possum playing dead and take a bad sack. This year, I don't know what John Gruden did to him over the summer, but he somehow convinced Derek Carr that when he's scared, what he should be doing is throwing the ball as high and far in the middle of the field as he could. And that's not a great idea all the time. But when you have Darren Waller, it, sometimes it's an amazing idea. Uh, so that that played out in every which possible way. Uh, Derek Carr loves checkdowns. I think Derek Carr is under the impression that he has Dak Prescott's skill set, but he doesn't. He's got a really strong arm. Like, I think it's the same caliber as Trevor Lawrence. His mechanics are kind of funky. He likes to float balls and he doesn't always utilize that arm strength because, again, the hallmark of his game is just kind of being a pussy. But when Derek Carr like decides that it is finally time to rip it, he can rip it. And with solid accuracy, if not good accuracy, great zip, you know, second tier, maybe first tier range. And, and he likes to try to tend to be safe with the ball. Like if he had it his way, he would never put the ball in harm's way. Yeah, you, you talk about him being just a massive pussy, and that's always been my issue with him. I was kind of talking about, uh, you know, Lawrence. I like to see some throwaways and instances that he's okay with giving up on plays. Carr is, like, is where he does a little too much of that. Like, sometimes you got to go for it. Like, you can't throw the ball away on third and nine, dude. Like, the, yep. you, you have 
have to try. Um, so that's always been my issue with him. And I think continues to be his issue. I think anytime I watch him and again, I don't watch every Raiders game, but I see a good amount of them generally because I like some players. They used to be a beacon of uh, what I thought the Browns could end up being. It doesn't really matter because they sucked. And then the Browns <laughs> also sucked. And I was, I was a naive 13 year old, but Derek Carr, he does stuff. Well, he still just, looks like he crumbles late and when pressure comes on and I know he has like a lot of fourth quarter comebacks and people like to float that stat but anytime I watch him save maybe like the the Chargers game at the end of the year which even that was a lot of just like fuck it balls that things turned out really well but outside of that game I just I remember every time in fourth quarters it's like he starts freaking out and running around and he either turns it over or just makes some inexplicable decision but other than that yeah I like him, man. Dude, uh, it's hard to get past the being a pussy. And like earlier in his career, it was easier to excuse him because he had such bad offensive coaching. But then he got Gruden. And say what you will about Gruden. There's a lot of things people say about Gruden. A lot of people don't like Gruden. That's all fine, well, and good. But Gruden runs the Shanahan offense. He invented it, like in its modern phase. Like obviously named after Mike Shanahan. Gruden was like, what if we pass the ball out of this? And that's what made him special. That's why he was a Super Bowl stalwart in the early 2000s. And it's why he really didn't miss a step coming back. That being said, I think Josh McDaniels is actually an even better fit for Derek Carr. Because one, I don't think he'll be as abrasive. Because I don't know if it's possible. And Derek Carr always looks like he's going to cry. Always. He does. Inclu- including on the field where we have video evidence of him crying. Um, on the field. A leader of men. This is very toxically masculine of me. Either way. Yeah, I know. It's it's just a tough look, though. Like, on in a sport as macho as football, like, it's one of those things, you know, 2022, men cry, feel your feelings. Yes. But, yes. but you can't do it in the middle of a football game when things are going bad. You also have to know your audience. You know, you and I may be well-adjusted modern men who wear nail polish and such. I don't. You have. I have. It's not a, but... not a consistent thing, but I've dabbled. <laughs> I I grew up with women. You fuck around. Um, We may be modern men. That doesn't make everybody in the huddle a modern man. And in fact, uh, let's stereotype a little bit here. They're probably not. <laughs> Yeah, again, I don't I don't want to say every single one, but yeah, they they probably grew up with some uh some very different opinions that uh didn't doesn't uh highlight crying as the most masculine thing. Yeah, e- exactly. So, regardless, Derek Carr's got some some emotional uh shall we say issues. <laughs> he's the emo quarterback. Looks like he's wearing eyeliner and crying all the time. And I think that while Josh or Josh McDaniels is fiery, I think that he'll be a better communicator with Derek Carr. So, instead of John Gruden turning Derek. It seems very evident that John Gruden encountered a pussy of a quarterback and said, fuck you, throw it up, motherfucker. And it turned into Derek Carr arm punting. And I think that maybe Josh McDaniels will be a little softer in saying, fuck you, throw it up, motherfucker. And maybe it'll turn into more judicious deep shots, which I think could be really helpful for Derek Carr's game, because that's where almost all of his pickables came from, is literally just, uh, I'm backpedaling, they're coming, I don't know what to do, I should throw the ball away, it's second down, fuck! Arm punt, 35 yards, it's a duck, it's hanging up there, two different safeties are vying for the ball i'm not joking that is a play that i saw today against denver uh in week six yeah i don't doubt it i feel like i see at least one of those every single time i watch a game plays yeah and he also like despite the fact that he's become a chuck it fuck it football type guy he eats sacks at a very high clip he's still at 4.75 percent negative sack rate on his dropbacks which is high it is 
nearing Joe Burrow. So the guy's got his issues, but his arm talent's undeniable. He processes well enough. He is safe in his processing, but I'd rather him be safe than sorry sometimes. And I think that he'll fit Josh McDaniels' quick-hitting offense so well. I, I actually think it's a match made in heaven. And now they have awesome wide receivers, including Devontae Adams, who he's really good friends with. So Derek Carr's production is going to skyrocket. I think that his performance might even improve because of the kind of coaching he's getting, changing his mindset. Because really, if you could put a different, if you just, if every quarterback got a lobotomy and you just got to choose which one you're possessing, like with your brain, Derek Carr is one of the best options. He's he's up there just as a physical talent because he's also a pretty good runner, dude. Like, I mean, he's don't run the read option with him, but he's not a liability moving. Yeah, he can go pick up some third downs if stuff breaks down a little bit. I think of it like a little Joe Burrow-ish mm-hmm. where you don't want him taking off, but he can go pick stuff up for you in situations. Oh, oh, straight up. I think if Joe Burrow had Derek Carr's physical abilities, I think he might be the best quarterback in the NFL it, because Joe Burrow's got that moxie. He's got that dog in him like Zach Wilson. But Derek Carr is a really good physical talent. I agree with you. Yeah, I mean, I remember when he was coming out and it was kind of like he couldn't find a specific, you know, especially physically area he was lacking. Like he was accurate. He could put it to just about any area of field with his arm strength and he had good touch on things. He can move a little bit. He has all the things. It's just whether he can continue to build his confidence confidence and not panic yeah i i might get a little hate for Derek carr certainly not as much as trevor lawrence but i am very intrigued by what he could do next year i'm high on the raiders generally it certainly don't if you remember the first half of last year people were talking about Derek carr in the mvp conversation well like it was completely fake (laughs) i was gonna say in true joe fashion I actually spent the first month of the season bitching about how his performances against Baltimore and San Diego were shitty, even if his stats look good, and that beating up on Pittsburgh and Miami is not impressive. So I thought that that was bullshit the whole time. But we've come full circle again. (laughs) I love it when that happens. But yeah, so I think 10 is probably around where I think a a lot of people would have him. I I think this is a really good spot for him as well. So move on to the last of our B-minus quarterbacks. Yeah, let's wrap him up. Who do we have at number nine? Number nine is actually a latest addition he used to be a b quarterback but i'm just i get really bad this is gonna sound terrible i get terrible vibes from him as far as his athleticism goes i feel like he's a falling star much the way matt ryan is number nine is ryan Tannehill, who as recently as a year ago i had as a top five quarterback yeah i feel like he's really divisive because you can find a pretty a pretty wide range of opinions on him i think it's definitely taken a hit and the opinions are more negative after how he finished last season a lot and of i kind of agree in. like i i might in my perfect world flip Carr and Tannehill here just because i think Tannehill's really hitting that wall but you want to walk me through it yeah so the thing about Tannehill is that we all remember the end of the season when he really just kind of imploded against the Bengals and lost us some fucking serious money and probably lost his team a shot at going to the super bowl yep. um but the problem is that ryan Tannehill also had a lot of really good performances. Like, look no further than his game in week seven against Kansas City, where he was so perfect in the first quarter and a half that I stopped grading because he was already at an A plus. 
100% accuracy, 57% positive plays, 0% negative plays at seven minutes and 30 seconds in the second quarter. And the game was over. It was, it was over. It was not close. They ran away with that game. So he's got it in him still. But what I saw at the end of the season that upset me and scared me is that I don't think his arm strength is still there. And Ryan Tannehill used to be like everybody with like, okay, when it comes to player comparison, everybody has like their go-to guys. So like for a long time, every possession receiver was just Anquan Bolden to people or like Mm -hmm. nowadays, every small speed receiver is just Tyreek Hill. For a while, every quarterback that had like actively good mobility, but like wasn't a runner and had a good arm, but like not an elite arm was Ryan Panhill. Except now his running has gone from, he used to be like a legit B plus A minus runner. People forget. He's a wide receiver, man. I was about to say, people forget he played wide receiver. Uh, No, so he went from being like a legitimate running threat. You may remember a couple years ago on Christmas when he had like a 65 yard run against the Packers for a touchdown, which was silly. But as recently as one, even on that run, Ryan Tannehill didn't have like game breaking speed, but he was fast enough to like run 65 yards without being caught. Obviously it's gone. His speed is B minus at best. I would say it's probably more like, well, no, I'd say it's B minus because he could run a read option. It's just uh, painful. It, it's scary to watch. It's like watching your grandmother, like walk down some steep stairs. Like, please he, don't get hit. He, he looks old. Yeah. Yeah. And his arm, like against the Bengals, he had a 25 yard back shoulder curl. That is a tough, tough, throw that is any and it was for a touchdown so it was heavily covered in the end zone that is a tough throw and he got it there and that's usually something you reserve for like a josh allen because it takes so much velocity he did it with elite anticipation but there was a day when ryan Tannehill could zip that fucker in with average anticipation so he's not what he was and i'm worried that that arm is going to decay exponentially now that like once it starts to go they usually go you know um yeah so i'm it's worried like each year gets markedly worse than the year before like it happened with Bree. It happened with Eli. It happened with Peyton. I mean, Peyton had neck surgeries, but still. No, but like when it goes, it goes. Like even with Peyton, yeah, he had the neck surgeries, which probably sped it up. But his second to last year, it was like, ooh, this arm is uh, that's rough. And then his last year, it's like, oh, oh, you can't play him. They started Brock Osweiler over him and pretended that he was injured because he couldn't throw. Like when it goes, it goes. So. And Tannehill is about to turn 34. Yeah, which nowadays sounds kind of young, but like, dude, he's. If he was a wide receiver, we'd be talking this dude's old. And yeah. he is a wide and receiver. He got, he got hit a lot in Miami, too. Yes, he did. So I think Tannehill's like, he's coming up that hill uh, and he's not running. Shout out to Kate Bush. Stranger Things was great. Um, this all being said, he's still really productive and he still performs really well, even in an offense that I would argue is not that friendly to him. Yes, they run a lot of play action. Yes, they get light boxes or sorry, heavy boxes because Derrick Henry. But he had one wide receiver last year. Julio Jones is dead. The Julio that people remember as Julio died like three years ago. We are left with Quintoras Lopez Smith. That's his real name. And he's not good at football because he can't run, which is important for playing football. So they had A.J. Brown and something called, uh, oh, fuck, Emir Smith is his last name. I don't remember his first name. You, I, I do not either. Yeah, no, that's good. He was bad. He's not an NFL wide receiver. Uh, now they replaced A.J. Brown, top five, certainly top 10 wide receiver. with yeah, very uh, good. They replaced him with Traylon, fat-ass Burks, can't get through one practice in the NFL because, quote-unquote, he has adult asthma, which is called being fat. As a former it's fat, It's not a great look when, uh, when you perform worse in, like, every category than people expected you to and all the testing, and then you show up out of shape and have asthma and people are openly talking about how you're out of shape and can't get through practices. 
I quote unquote had Bardwell. asthma. I quote unquote had asthma was on a, when I was a kid, and then I stopped eating so fucking much, and then I didn't. That's how that worked for me. Uh, so maybe Traylon Burke should stop. Well, honestly, dude, is he just Nikhil Harry? Is he just straight up Nikhil Harry? I, you know, he really might. It's entirely too early to say it. Like way, way too early. I didn't like his film anyway, so I'm gonna say he's Nikhil Harry. Um, anyway, Tannehill's uh, he's up shit creek with a Mike Vrabel paddle, which is probably worse than the creek. I don't it's, think he's gonna be. Go ahead. We could bitch about Vrabel a little bit. It's gonna be tough in Tennessee this year. Like they got oh. a lot worse. Because not only did they lose A.J. Brown, who is their best offensive player, yep. Tannehill looks like he's really starting to hit that that slope and go into uh, time to hold a clipboard or retire. Physically and fading. Derrick Henry just had, you know, a big old foot injury, is a big dude that has been used nonstop the last and few years. And he was fucking overrated to begin with before he lost his athleticism. Yeah, he's, what, 28, 29 now, which for running back, is getting to the end and he was always just a volume he was kobe not a great shooter he just doesn't stop shooting not a great runner he just doesn't stop running and frankly and this, I, that is blasphemous to kobe because putting kobe and derrick henry on similar stilts is is ridiculous to me i wanted to put it in a context where people understand i'm not bashing derrick henry and saying he doesn't belong in the nfl because i was going to say jr smith but that's rude so i thought of a different volume shooter who's maybe not very efficient but certainly piles up points um, Fair enough. Okay. And we're also, neither of us are good enough basketball minds. I'm sure there are a million better comparisons, but. I've watched basketball three times in the last four years. So I've got the big names in my head. Okay. I, I know I watch enough basketball to event to like convince a complete stranger on the subway that I know about basketball enough. Um, anyhow, Derrick Henry is fading fast. I think we can all agree on that. Even if you thought he was elite last year because you're a casual and play too much fantasy football, it's not going to be the same in 2022. The wide receiving core is going to suck. Robert Woods is also mid as fuck. He is a wide receiver too that provides nothing special. They're in trouble. And then finally, Ryan Tannehill himself is fading. And Mike Vrabel will steal at least two possessions per game from him due to the fact that he can't stop punting. He, he really does. It's like he just wants to make his players such good men by putting them through adversity at every turn because he just creates issues for that team. I think personally that Mike Vrabel is obsessed with either one, having the most coffin corner punts in a season, or two, wants to complete the record for the shortest punt of all time. Because there's no other explanation for punting from enemy territory as often as he does. The man is addicted to punting at the plus 40 yard line. Do you know the uh, that Twitter website that does like the cowardice percentage? Oh, I love the cowardly punts. Twitter. It's my favorite. You think he has them like as one of his top burner account follows? Cause he, there's no other explanation. Like he's got to just get on jerk off to be like 97% baby. He's just got the algorithm all backwards. And he's like, dude, I'm a 98 this week. Fuck. Yeah. No, I don't know. I don't know what the fuck his problem is. It might just be that meathead defensive ends don't actually turn into great football minds simply because they played for Bill Belichick for a while. They could be that simple. Uh, the defenses he 
granted, Ohio State and Houston were actually not any good, despite having really, really good talent on. So maybe it's just a Vrabel thing, and Amy Adams Strunk is completely out of touch and just keeps on hiring gym teachers due to the fact that's what she thinks football is because she doesn't like football. But we're not talking about Ryan Tannehill anymore. Basically, my issue with him is that I don't know if he knows his arm is fading, and it certainly is fading. And I think that'll lead to a lot of pickable balls next year. So I could I could see Ryan Tannehill picking it up. Maybe he had like a sprained shoulder I didn't know about, and all of a sudden, he's back to being the top five guy he was. Totally open to that idea. I also wouldn't be shocked if he rolls out week one and he's Chad Penning, and he doesn't know that he's Chad Penning. And, and that would be really bad. So for the first time in like five years, I'm not high on the Tennessee Titans this year. You know, it's it's wild to think about, right? Because we've been talking about like how incredible the roster is for the last handful of years. Yeah. And this year, I, I it's not even that the roster isn't like great. It's it's kind of bad. Well, it, they maintained a good offensive line despite people aging out and going the away. From, is, is I love as well. I love what John Robinson did with defense. Uh, Christian Fulton is one of my favorite dudes. Uh, the homie Harold Landry, fellow Boston College Eagle. Love him. Always have. Jeffrey Simmons, my sleeper from that draft. I said he should be a top five pick. Probably shouldn't have beat that woman so hard when she was messing with his mother, but he's really good at football. And they got rid of Rashawn Evans, which is just makes me a happy boy. Plus, Amani Hooker and Kevin Byard is certainly the best safety tandem in the NFL, and nobody yeah. knows about it. Nobody knows about it. Yeah, but will they be able to score any points? No, because Mike Vrabel will steal several points from you per game. And then there's not that many points to steal from Robert Woods and fat boy uh, lining up outside with no yeah, tight end have, to speak of no tight no end playmakers. They haven't been able to find a tight end for like five years and they don't like ever since they had Delaney Walker. He was good. And then Delaney he, Walker. he left and Johnu Smith was okay. He was solid and he left and they replaced him with uh, who's that white dude that can't move from Kansas city. Anthony Ferkster. That sounds right. That is correct. And he, sucks and I think he might have left and they might have replaced him with somebody even more obscure so I think that their game plan is eventually to run out of tight ends so that Vrabel is like oh no I have to play tight end again shit <laughs> um, yeah and then they just want to run the ball down everybody's throat with their crappy running back which is a bad idea even if their running back is great they're fucked they're fucked they're probably the third best team in that division now which is bad and makes me upset no I don't know Ryan Tannehill number nine yeah Ryan Tannehill is just a doorway to fucking misery and confusion right now yeah, I feel bad for him. I am happy that he got like a few years of legitimate competitive football, though, because yeah. like he he got put into the shit show that is Miami, the Adam Gase Miami Dolphins, no less. Yep, and just got beat up and forced to dink and dunk and like not well, really hey, play quarterback. Don't forget Joe Philbin's absolute fucking shit show before that, which was Urban Meyer caliber crazy. I was about to say he's even worse. <laughs> I know because at least Gase um, like kept the team doing football. He just wasn't smart about it. Philbin had the team doing cocaine and bullying each other, going to strip clubs all the time, apparently, and then also not playing football well. Yeah, he wasn't checking any of the boxes of the uh, the head coach responsibilities. <sighs> Yeah, no, I mean, honestly, think of how different everything would be if Mike Rabel just, like, stopped running the ball and punting from the other side of the field against the Ravens in the divisional round two years ago during COVID. That, 
I'm I'm fucking I got a thousand yard stare going right now because of the money I lost on that stupid fucking. Just don't want the Ravens to win games that they're not supposed to win because they do it all the time. <laughs> I it was gonna say angry. There's no it justice. Also, it also frustrates me because the only time that NFL Twitter is sane about Lamar Jackson is when they're like, "Well, he can't win a playoff game," and I'm like, "You took the wrong route, but you did get to the right spot." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like this is not indicative of what makes a good quarterback, but I all right. I guess I'm not, I'm not team QB wins, but scheme does fade in the playoffs. You have to beat good teams in the playoffs. Therefore it's harder to win in the playoffs and being a good quarterback and being a winning quarterback in the playoffs are more tightly correlated than in any other area of the season. Therefore it makes some sense. And you guys seem to generally understand how good this player is in this one instance. So I'll fucking take it. Cause it's hard on these Twitter streets, right. not, not as hard as it is on the Reddit streets. Because at least Twitter lets me post, but at this police state censorship bullshit, you joke, you joke, but I literally got banned for following the rules that they made me follow and banned me for a day before. Fuck Reddit. All right. Ryan Tannehill being ranked number nine got us talking about fuck Reddit and Lamar Jackson and justice in Twitter streets. So I think that we have successfully talked about all the B minus quarterback sufficiently. You have any analysis to add any gripes, any adjustments that you would make if I died tomorrow and this became your list? There, there would probably be adjustments, but none, none that we haven't really talked about. And uh, yeah, there will be plenty once games start too. And we can have a little bit more, more fun with uh, since someone, any of these are projections first past success or failure but right now it's in a good spot i like it the b minuses are murky next week things get real fun with the b's and b pluses and depending on how much time we want to use we might honestly finish off the rest of the top eight quarterbacks next week uh because the tiering becomes more murky especially now that we have to add when we started this project all the numbers were wrong because we didn't know that one of the b plus quarterbacks or b quarterbacks rather would be on this list of starting quarterbacks hint hint we talk about Baker foreshadowing. Again. We're going. We're going to talk about some Baker Mayfield again. So yeah, I uh, I don't think we've got anything else for you, which means that we're going to ask you to bet on football games in three months or so when that shit happens. And until next time, Austin.